The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and how? Yeah, you got that right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota, and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen, and you're listening to The Makers of Minnesota, where we talk with people in Minnesota doing cool things. This is podcast number 70, and we're very excited to be with you today. If you are listening to the podcast or you are regular, some of you are proverbial podcast junkies of Makers of Minnesota, which I love it, you're always welcome to send me an email uh, S Hansen, H A N S E N, at hbi.com if you have suggestions for shows. We're also on Facebook at Makers of MN, Twitter, and also Instagram. So if you've got any cool stories or uh, you know of a friend that has a cool business story, please let us know. We're always looking for new ideas. And as we've gotten into episode number 70, always looking for different kinds of businesses too. I tend to gravitate towards food businesses because that's my personal passion. Um, but if you have developed an app or you have some kind of service that's unique, all we ask is that it be originated, the idea be originated in the state of Minnesota so that we can talk to you about it and how you incubated it. Um, so today we are with Mike Nelson, who's the founder of North Mallow. Mallow is in Marshmallow. I love that word. Um, and Mike, I first ran into your marshmallows at um, Certix, I think. And I thought, wow, this is cool having a locally packaged marshmallow. Yeah. How did you get into the marshmallow business, my friend? So I was a camp counselor for like 12 years. Like really? For At way where? Too long. Uh, camp Kitschiapi is YMCA camp. Sure. My um, daughter's a widgie camper. Oh, nice. So once you get that in your brain, it's yes. kind of hard to get out. I'm a huge YMCA fan. And then I worked full time at the YMCA too. Sure. Um, but I was always the camp guy. I always love building bonfires, making s'mores. Um, and to this day, I we build bonfires in my backyard and I never ever like catching my marshmallows on fire. I just never liked really the store brand marshmallows that yep. everyone knows. Um so I started to for my campers experimenting with different chocolates. So we were doing like Kit Kats or Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah, in your s'mores. In the s'mores. Thin mints. Yep, thin mints, like a whole bunch of different chocolates. But uh for me personally it just kept on being that marshmallow. Um, and that was before just like too sweet, too cloying, too weird, too just flavorless. Yeah. Um, you know, really starchy, kind of almost like that styrofoam. Um, and sometimes there's that powdery like mouthfeel that's icky. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, and so I went to college, kind of, you know, forgot about the whole thing. And, um, what did you major in in college? I went to St. Olaf. I was a history major. Okay. So nothing to do with marshmallows. <laughs> I do it never know, is. I do know the entire history of marshmallows and s'mores, though. So I guess there's a little uh, connection. Um, but then I uh, became a teacher. I actually went to go teach uh, history. And then I didn't really like it. I, I really wanted, I was an entrepreneur at heart. Yeah. You know, I How wanted did you to do know? Like, were you always thinking of ideas? Did you carry around a notebook? Did you come from a family of entrepreneurs? 
Uh, my uncle has always wanted me to become an entrepreneur. He's an entrepreneur overseas in uh, England. Mm-hmm. And um, he always knew that I loved business and entrepreneurship, but teaching kind of fit well with my history major. And sure. It was that natural fit. Um, loved kids. I loved being that camp counselor. So I thought that yeah. was great for teaching. But teaching doesn't really, um, you can't be very entrepreneurial in the, Edu- you know, teaching world sometimes it's sometimes very strict and sometimes very um you know there's this whole guide of what you have to do yeah and, and i was always trying to come up with different ways and then i kept on coming up with different ideas and business just kind of took over my mind um i'm sort of sad because i feel like and no knock on teachers because i think it's the hardest job ever but oh, i absolutely. feel like it's people like you that kind of have a real desire to teach kids and you're interested in the subject matter, but trying to find a unique way to do it. I wish there was more flexibility in yeah. that kind of a role. You know, teaching's the hardest job in the world. And I I was okay at it. The other teachers that I was with were fantastic and I always looked up to them. Um but uh I always wanted to become a you know, I end up really wanting to become in you know, work in business. Some fashion. Okay. So you're like, okay, this teaching thing, I don't know. It's not necessarily the best, but I'm really thinking about entrepreneurs. So what was your, was this your first idea? No. Oh, no, no, no. Tell me about the failed ideas. Um, You know, and that's one thing that has always been really tough for me is I I did have a pretty big failure early on. I actually started uh, a first business. Um, It was still around the whole idea of the s'more. Um, it was called Campfire Desserts, and I actually made deep-fried s'mores and sold them at fairs and festivals um, for three years. I won an entrepreneurial contest at St. Olaf, yep. helped me kind of um, jumpstart the business and have a little money. I uh, got a trailer and went fair to fair for three years, uh, met a lot of people, but uh, my idea just wasn't as great as it could have been. Um and can you elaborate on that like from a price point from a product quality standpoint from a taste what the, i can't imagine you not doing well the taste was great um we made s'more bites specifically uh we this the largest county fair in the midwest or upper midwest is called the clay county fair in iowa and we we're the best dessert at the clay county fair we beat out all of the big guys um and named the best dessert but our price point was lower um, we we you know specifically did one thing and overhead being having a trailer and going to fairs and hiring labor and sleeping in hotels is incredibly expensive. Yep. Um, and I did not do a good enough job the first time around. Um, really with a business plan. You know, yeah. I, I I just kind of went for it. I it was a big risk. I learned a ton. It was like business school for me. I learned a lot. Maybe a little cheaper in the end. A little bit, yeah. And, you know, I talked to a lot of other people in the business world, and everyone has that kind of first failure. And it took me a while to understand that it's okay to fail. Um, You know, I I never really brought it up after I started catering. Um, And I just kind of said, oh, I started with catering so, because I wanted it to go in the past. Yeah, so... I hate to dwell on what you perceive no, okay. as your failure, but I think sometimes that's where the gold is. Yeah. So you're you have uh, campfire desserts and you're going to fairs. Yep. Are you losing money or oh, are yeah. you just not making any money? You know, we started out losing money. Um, we ended up kind of growing it 
uh, people still didn't really understand what a deep fried s'more mm-hmm. was until they tasted it. Um, but uh, it just wasn't enough, and these fares are expensive, and we started just breaking even. And when I was looking at the potential for the business, um, it wasn't huge. Yeah. And did you had you quit your teaching job at this point, or were you just doing this in the summers? Yeah, I was doing this in the summers. Okay. So I thought that was a great fit. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it, it just it ended up not being big enough potential. Okay. And I was looking at where we could be, and the state fair was, you know, the big thing, the Minnesota yep. State Fair. Um, and, you know, when I was talking with a lot of people at the fairgrounds and in the office, you know, they were talking about years before I could get into it, you know, and yep. it's really hard, and those guys work so hard. And there is a huge myth about concessionaires, people at the state fair, making millions and millions of dollars. That's right. There's you know, about three there's, that are. Yeah, there's Sweet Martha and the Fresh French Fries. <laughs> and then there's everybody else. And then there's everyone else yep. that has full-time jobs year-round, and they work super hard doing yep. this. Um, So it's a big myth that I learned very quickly that, yes, that's a big myth. Um. So I'm cur- I think it's interesting I think it's interesting that you call that a failure because what I I mean and not to like you know be like your mom and like hey no, sure. it's not a failure kid you're doing all right <laughs> but I feel like you couldn't get to where you are today had you have not had that experience would oh, you no. say that's true Absolutely if I didn't start that first business um I would be doing something else I would not be where I am today so tell me how, so you go, you stop doing that business. You go back to teaching, I'm assuming, or you're. So actually it was during um, being, owning Campfire Desserts that I was at a fair and I um, was making marshmallows um, for just for fun because I was doing s'mores already. Yeah. I was like, what can I do differently to set us apart even more? You know, having a traditional s'more in our trailer might really help. Um, but I didn't want it just to be with a Jet Buff Marshmallow. And so I was just, I started, I looked up recipes and started making different flavors of marshmallows. And some of them were good. Some of them were terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I started using those in the trailer, actually. How do you make a marshmallow? So. What's in it? Yeah. Um, traditionally, um, water, sugar. And corn syrup are the top three ingredients Okay. Uh, with gelatin, uh, cream of tartar. But we don't use any corn syrup in our marshmallows, and that's something that I started early on not using um, because it's just not a good ingredient. Right. Um, so we use organic agave nectar. And I actually, I didn't start using that. I started sh- um, trying to find different uh, syrups, sugar syrups, basically, that we could use. But the agave nectar was really... Um, fit best for what I wanted our marshmallows to be. Do you put them in like a sheet pan and cut them? Yep, exactly. Yeah. So okay. you boil the water, sugar, and we use agave. Uh, then you mix it with more sugar. I mean, marshmallows are sugar. Yeah. You know, let's be real. It's it's <laughs> whenever we're out. You know, people say I'm I I I you know I'm on a sugar diet, not eating sugar. I'm like, well, maybe our marshmallows are really not the best fit. For yeah. You. Um, Do people ask you that? Oh yeah. Weird. Yeah, okay. we, we get very strange questions. The idea of a from-scratch marshmallow is so foreign to Minnesotans. Um, I get the strangest questions. People think I actually break down Jet Puff marshmallows and put flavor in them and resell them. <laughs> I get it all the time. It's the funniest thing, and I, I, I never even thought 
about that being a possibility. Yeah, exactly. But um, oh yeah, um, and then you you mix it with sugar, um, and then you pour that in a pan. So you know the timing, the the uh, specific temperature that we boil it to, how long we let it set, um, and then you cut them, um, and then you have marshmallow. Okay, here's the part that I don't understand. So you've got campfire desserts, and you can't make enough money to make that business model of traveling to these fairs work. But you're at these fairs, and you're making a marshmallow, and you can make this product, and you learn how to make it tasty. Yep. What is the difference? Is it just the overhead of staff and having to travel and how much you can make? Cause yeah, it seems absolutely. like it's kind of a fine line to profitability. So we, I shut down the concessions business mm-hmm. because a friend of mine had a holiday event. He knew I was making marshmallows. He knew I was doing s'mores at these fairs. Yeah. He says, can you do something at our corporate event? Um, and I was like, well, I can't bring my 20-foot trailer to right. your corporate event. And I started kind of looking online a little bit, and this idea for a s'mores bar, making your own s'mores at the event, um, started to become popular. This was a little over four years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I can do that. I'm making marshmallows. I just have to get graham crackers and chocolate and figure out how they roast them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that, and it was at a venue, and the um, it was at Abule uh, in St. Paul. Yep. And Mintaho, a caterer, uh, does all the catering there. Yep. And the main person that was there for Mintaho says, we have three more events that we want you to do this. And it just snowballed. Um, and the profit is so much more. You're only, instead of working 16 or 17-hour days at these fairs, um, you're, you know, I work three or four hours for an event. Yeah, and you're charging for the hours that exactly. you're there, not per piece. No, we do per s'more. Or not oh, per s'more. We do per guest. Sorry. Oh, okay. So we do per person. So if there's 200 people there, we charge them for the 200 people. Right. Um, okay. So now all of a sudden this business model is starting to make sense. And you knew this. Like so many people sit in this chair and don't have business plans. So I think it's really interesting that it was kind of when you did the business plan that you figured out your first iteration wasn't going to be profitable, yep. but this one was. And then- yeah, exactly. Yep, I started to kind of slowly understand that there's actually something here. People want experiences at these events. They mm-hmm. just don't want cakes and cupcakes and cookies. As much as I love cake and cookies, they just don't want them at every single event they go to. How um, complicated is your setup? Like, I would think it sounds kind of complicated to have, like, fire. Pretty and... simple. So we actually use a specific uh, heat source. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Sterno, so it's what caterers use. Sure. We use something called, which... I found out early on the Sterno company makes all these s'mores Sterno. So they actually make something for roasting over. Wow. Yeah. Because the Sterno, it, I recall it having kind of a funky smell. Funky smell, bad chemicals, and on the uh, can itself, there's a nice skull and crossbones. So, yeah, <laughs> you don't really want to use those ones. Ah, yeah. I'm not going to kill people at the s'mores bar. Yeah. So yeah. this is a little more... Um, Clean. Yes. Way of, of burning it. and yep. So... You are out, you're making these s'mores, you're deciding this is the business model. Do you, is this the point where you quit your job? How does that, no, how no. do you make I that transition? I took a job at the YMCA. So I, I stopped teaching and then took a job at the YMCA um, because I still needed money. Income, yep. yeah. You know, this, 
early on in food businesses uh, specifically, you, you know, you don't become a millionaire overnight. That's right. Um, and so the first year we did like 10 events and I thought that was incredible. Um, and then, uh, the next year we did 25 and then from there went 65. And then this year, our fourth year, we'll do 120. Wow. And can you just keep growing in the event business or what's the next iteration for you? Well, so I, I was making these marshmallows and about two years ago, People at events wanted to find out where I was buying them because they just assumed I was buying them from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no, I make them. And they're like, well, I want 15. I want 20. And I'm like, well, no, I, I just do catering. I don't sell marshmallows. I, I just cater. And I never thought ever in my mind, it wasn't in my business plan at all, that I would be selling marshmallows um, because I didn't think people wanted homemade marshmallows at home. People were fine with Jet Puff. They've been fine with, you know, store-bought marshmallows yep. for decades. But it's the same thing that happened to chocolate and, you know, all these other classic brands. They get an upgrade. And so I started selling them in Ziploc bags at events. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't supposed to, but I was. Sure. And then people really wanted to start buying them more. And they were asking me, where do I sell them? I was like, oh, no, no, I don't. I just cater. And finally, after talking with, I mean, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, um, she's like, well, you you should start looking into packaging. I was like, okay, well, that seems expensive. Um, but the catering was doing well enough where I actually could afford decent packaging. And how did you, can you talk me through, like, did you know someone? How do you decide how to package something and what works? And were you labeling it yourself? Or oh my you... gosh! Yeah, I um, knew every. I knew people in the catering world. I I didn't know people in the food retail wholesale right. world, um, and I really wish I did. I, I basically did very little FDA approved. Ended up like I, I screwed up multiple times with the packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I learned a lot of the lessons the hard way. Um, I didn't put the right address on there. My nutrition label wasn't correct. Um, and I thought I, w- I was doing everything to the books. You know, I was online researching. But uh, now I know that really nothing was correct in my first round of packaging. And when you think about that and you're giving, like, say someone listening to this is trying to create something – is there a service that you go to that helps yes. you create packaging or what would you suggest to maybe prevent those mistakes? Yep, there's a lot of services. So I have now um, started to really help other food entrepreneurs starting out um, tell them, hey, don't do what I did. Do it the right way. Uh, do more research. Talk to people. Um, there is uh, multiple organizations, one called the Midwest Pantry. Mm-hmm. And Chad and Zoe. Chad and Zoe. And they're great. Um you know, they don't necessarily tell you exactly what to do, sure. but they have a whole database of food entrepreneurs um, that the nice thing about, to me at least, of what I've seen of food entrepreneurs specifically, we're totally willing to help. You know, we're, there, there are technically competitors of, you know, my business out there, but I am more than fine of working with small businesses, other food entrepreneurs and telling them, you know, my experiences and, you know, giving them my contacts, um, telling them, you know, this is what you should do. This is who you should talk to because it's hard. It was really hard starting out and Mm -hmm. screwing up and spending too much money and not enough places, you know, in the wrong places. 
Um, and then there's another organization that is called Grow North, mm-hmm. uh, Lauren Proudheim, and they have a whole website of um, uh, uh, different people that you can talk to, um, different articles, different organizations. They're like the center database of everything food. Did you fund your own growth? I did to start. Yeah, the catering funded it. Um, While I was working at the YMCA, the catering was making enough money, especially that year I did 60 events where I was funding the ingredient purchasing as well as the packaging. Um, My uh, parents helped out a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, But then when I started to really need money, I hired um, an operations group um, to really help me scale the business. Mm -hmm. I was making the marshmallows in batches of 108. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And when I started to talk to retailers and get these orders, um, it was days of making these. Yeah. Just for small orders. I was like, okay, there has to be a better way. So did you go to a co-packer? I thought about it, but uh, I, I... we're keeping all the production in-house. Okay. Um, I was at a Midwest pantry meeting, actually, and I met a guy named Jim Costello. Um, he used to work for uh, Angie's Boom Chickapop, mm-hmm. and he was their operations guy. I was like, oh, my God, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. Yeah. I wish I met you two years ago. Um, and he, uh, I brought him on uh, for three months, three or four months, and he expanded our uh, uh, production, redid our recipes a little bit with me to kind of help me uh, grow and have a better uh, recipe booklet, mm-hmm. uh, better ingredients. The ingredients we were using weren't as good as they could be, and yep. he knew how we can make them better. Uh, and he had two food scientists on his team to help me out, and now we're making the batches in like 1,300 marshmallows instead of 108. So at that point... And I'm going to get kind of personal here. Sure. So at that point, were you paying yourself when you hired Jim to come on board? Like, had you quit your job yet? And I still don't know if you've even at quit your job that, now. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm full-time. At that time, I had quit my job. Um, it so, was just about that time. I thankfully have a wonderful, wonderful wife. There's a lot of people that have wonderful spouses yes. that make this happen. Because I imagine... You know, you're probably not making a lot of money yourself at that point, and to bring somebody else on. No, I pay myself very little. Yeah, I pay us, my wife and I. I mean, we have one bank account. Yeah, um, and I I don't contribute a lot. Yep, because we both know that this business really, really can grow. So, do you when you sit down and so I've shared that uh, my husband and I had a business together. After the first three years, it was really gut check time and. Yep. Um, we weren't in the same place on where we were headed at all. Yeah. I wanted to go out and get a job, and he wanted to keep putting money into the business. Sure. Have you had to have some of those uncomfortable conversations? And, and do you know what your line is? Like yep. where? So you're clear. Like yep. if it hasn't made it by this point or this time. Yep. You know, I didn't want to um, for my first business. Mm-hmm. I um, when I had to close that down, it was it was a sad day. But I thankfully had this second business. <laughs> That was growing, and more, it was fun. And I was doing catering and s'mores bars at weddings. You know, people on their special day was you know were bringing us in to do a s'mores bar. We were the dessert. Yep. Um, 
And there was something that my wife and I both saw. There was something special going on. And especially then when we started selling the marshmallows, people really wanted to buy them. Um, and, you know, we're a lot more expensive than Starbucks marshmallows. Sure. And uh, we, I'm not very good at accounting or finance. Yep. And having that first gut check really helped to close the first business because uh, it was my baby. Yeah. And I, did, I put a lot of work and a lot of hours into that concessions business. Um, and it made it a little bit easier for me to say, okay, at this point in time for North Malo, if we're not at stage, you know, five or six or whatever uh, we have, then we'll shut down or sell off the assets or, yep. or something um, and move on. Um, I think it's the toughest thing for entrepreneurs, especially, I mean, I, I know food entrepreneurship well, food business, the food world. And these these products, you know, are more than a product for these food companies. It's it's their baby. It's their It's their life. It's what they really believe in. Um, because you have to yeah. being in the food world, yeah, you know, especially when you get into wholesale, there isn't a lot of money for a while. Yep. Um, and it's tough. It's really tough when grocery companies want you to give free product, and that's the only way you can do it. And distribution takes twenty percent of this. And you know, when, when you keep on narrowing it down, when you're growing, your profit slims to very little, mm-hmm. and it becomes a volume game. When you look at your business, I'm assuming you have two ways, like you are fortunate in that this catering side of it yeah. could really be lucrative while you're getting the actual product in stores and the tweaking yep. of the packaging. And do you anticipate that, like, is it a 50-50 split in your perfect world that, you know, no. the marshmallow sales will make, right will now, it always be catering driving the business? No, right now the catering is about 70%. Marshmallows are about 30 and my hope for next year is that actually flips. And the profitability in a marshmallow has got to be more. So, yeah, like our price point's higher. We sell it, we're at two Target stores, they're $6.99 there, and we're at, the rest of our stores sell it at $7.99. Um, so, you know, compared to a bag of store-bought marshmallows you can buy for buck twenty-five. Right. Um, we're definitely a premium product. You say you're in two Targets. Is that, yep. Target is starting to test a lot of kind of local, local products. Correct. Robin Frank's Thumbs Cookies, I think, have been in Maddie there. Maddie Mays Popcorn. Yep, with Brett uh, Stryker. Yep. So are you We're part of... Brett, yep. So Brett and I are... Brett's in a few more Target stores that he's gotten, but we start. We both started at the downtown Minneapolis store in their local shop. Is there someone there that has started to champion local products? Yes, they have a whole localization team, and it's wonderful. Um, you know, They really want to see local products. Um, Target's trying to figure out what to do with grocery Mm -hmm. and you know especially i mean there are so many grocery stores and it's becoming a flooded market yep and target was getting pushed out because these rest of the grocery stores like hy-vee and kowalski's and fresh time are all introducing local products Mm -hmm. at an expedited rate and target wasn't Mm -hmm. um and they needed to see a switch they needed to really connect um, especially being the home of Target, right? They needed a Minnesota product line, and they put a lot of time and a lot of money into building this local shop. And they worked with us quite a bit. There was a group of ten of us. Um, we had to do this whole Target pitch day. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. Winds of the Target corporate. It was like sh- mini Shark Tank in Target. <laughs> um, and I brought the s'mores bar, so feeding them definitely helped out. I think. Yeah. Um, so you're. 
you get into this store and then is the hope that they can help you get into other stores or more targets. Yep. So we want to get into more local targets to start. Um, and then while we're going our other grocery stores and like I said, that's, you know, going back to the catering and the marshmallows right now, catering 70%. Um, but the marshmallows is growing. And when we really take off in 2018, we have this whole plan, uh, for spring, summer to really take off. We're, we're hoping that flips where the, the catering side is not going to dip in revenue, but the marshmallows is going to grow Pick up. Right. Uh, quite a bit. Um, you know, profit <laughs> catering still helps me have a business. You know, it, it really is there for me when I need the cash. Um, and that's been incredibly helpful. And I've been really blessed that I have a catering business that's helped me mm-hmm. to be able to grow the marshmallow business, maybe a little bit slower than other food businesses, because uh, I could take a little bit more time. Um, but, uh, we we this this coming year in 2018 is gonna be fun. There's gonna be a lot of really cool things that are happening for the marshmallows. We're gonna be introducing new flavors. Um, we're gonna be expanding new stores. We're going to the Winter Fancy Food Show in San Francisco. Have you been before? No, I haven't. I'm really excited. So a lot of in work. January. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah we we have in our basement right now. Um, again, I have a wonderful wife. <laughs> <laughs> and in our basement, we have taped a 10 by 10 section and we're like setting up um, different uh, displays, displays and, yeah, and how testing to, out how yeah, we'll testing look. it out. And, um, but we're keeping, you know, a section of the basement. Our main floor is still, you know, home. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's funny. So yeah. will she go out to the she food is. show with you yep. and you'll both. She's a marketing person. She, she, she got her MBA in marketing from the U. Um, and so she does all of our social media. She does all of our marketing. She You're fortunate. I'm, yeah. I've said, yeah, yeah. She she's incredible. Um, and uh, I'm very grateful that I don't have to figure out marketing myself. Yeah, and the social media and piece social of media it piece. is, I mean, that bridal community and that catering yeah. community is a whole different beast. Oh, yeah. Um, than, you know, manufacturing a product. Yep. And beyond marketing, she has the business knowledge. You know, I never went to business school. Mm-hmm. Um, and she understands business. She understands operations. She, did she get an MBA? She did, yep, mm-hmm. at it's, Carlson. It's funny because my husband got an MBA at Carlson, too. Oh. And I was sort of the savvy sales yep. sales is my person, and yep. I could get us into places, but... Yep. You know, the stuff he learned and the stuff he knew about running a business that I could have never gotten just being the scrappy, savvy seller. Incredible. Yeah. And it yeah. was a really powerful combination when you could put both of those things together. Her knowledge of operations and she is incredibly organized. Where my mind kind of goes eight different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of hones me in. Uh, she's so organized. She, I've improved in making lists. I used to not make lists or schedules. What's her name? Christine. Okay, Christine. Yeah. Did she take your last name? Is it Nelson? Yep. Okay. Because we keep saying she, she, yeah, she. Christine. My wife. Yep. yep. We may as well, may as well say well just hi, say Christine. The names. Yep. <laughs> so, um, and then hopefully our goal is if this marshmallow business grows um, in the next year is she'll come on to the business full time. Yeah. And that's a big leap too, because then leap. you start to have, I don't know, for us, the medical benefits are just crazy. Oh, just yeah. Our insurance costs as self-employed people 
are so outrageous. Yep. I, I outrageous. Base, Absolutely. Yeah, I think we're at twenty seven thousand dollars a year oh for our medical benefits. Wow. For just two of us. Wow. So before you make that decision, shop oh. your insurance wisely. We were on the affordable. So when she was in school, while well, I didn't have a job mm-hmm. for a period of time, so we went on um, Obamacare. Yeah, and it was incredible. I I've never had that experience before. Um, of you know, the YMCA gave me great health insurance. Yep. And when she used to work, uh, before she went back to school, she had great health insurance, and uh, that is the most confusing system. And it is so expensive. It and really it, is. It doesn't look like currently it's going to get better. No, I don't think so. No. Because I'm making the least money I've ever made in my career and I'm still paying. Uh, I'm not qualifying for any subsidies. You know, if you're reasonably self-employed, which, you know, nobody's getting rich over at my house. But <laughs> no. you're ending up with gigantic medical bills. So yep. that's something that... I think about for entrepreneurs, you know, you, it, it, most people, it's a, it's a one income household to make that leap to two yep. is really a dramatic shift. And a lot of people, I think really, they think about small business and, you know, the small business problems that are going on and how they can help people. And, but, uh, it, that health insurance piece, um, really has a hamper on, you know, does not help when it comes to having both spouses um, trying to grow the business. Well, and the next piece of that becomes, at least for us, you know, we, by the time we sold our business, we had 38 employees. Wow. And from the very beginning, we wanted to offer health benefits because we knew it was hard to get quality employees and then not offer them any insurance. Yep. So we took a lot less money home as individuals over the course of our career um, still paid taxes on it, but yep. we really believed in giving our employee insurance benefits. And that's becoming really challenging too. Very challenging. If you want to get a good employee and you're a company that maybe employs three people plus yourself and your wife, yep. um, it's just, it's really challenging and good employees can't afford to just work for you because you're fun and a nice guy. No. If they're at all entrepreneurial themselves or they want to start their own things you know they need insurance benefits and we have seven part-time employees and they're all incredible and i really try to make sure i do as much for them as possible and get them as many hours as possible and really look out for them yep um but that it's is hard managing is a new thing that i'm really starting to understand um get to know and because before it was me doing all the events me making the marshmallows yeah i would have a help here and there but now with, you know, 100 plus events and 17 or 18 stores, you need help. Yep. And I love all of our employees. They're wonderful. Um, and uh, I, I really, really try to help them out along the way and do fun things. But when time comes for them to want to grow in their career and if I can't offer um, more growth currently, it's, yeah. it's hard to keep them. And you need to send them on their way yeah. with a smile and yet... And find someone else. Inside, you're just like, oh, because you just had them all trained in and yep. they've been so good. And and that is what happens with your good employees. They yeah. either have to leave you or they will stay and they'll make their own sacrifices. And But but it's it's challenging. It's rewarding. You know, yeah. when we sold our company, um, we sold it to an employee-owned company. So they were all able to participate as employee owners and 
I hope someday that you'll get that opportunity. And here's what I will say. I always found that if we took care of our employees, it all worked out. Yeah. That if I, and I was greedy. (laughs) My husband was the least, the less greedy (laughs) of the two of us. I would be like, oh, we don't really have to do that for them. Like, you know, and he'd be like, yes, we do. Like he just, people are surprised by that because I look like I'd be like so charitable. But when it came down to like my paycheck or theirs, my husband would always err on the side of theirs. Yeah. And that was such a valuable lesson. And I really appreciate what we learned from that. Absolutely. And I know there's a long road ahead for us. Mm-hmm. And I know there's, I'm going to be learning a lot of lessons along the way. Yep. I learned a lot of lessons, but I'm still young in the business world. Um, being only in business for four years and now just kind of only being in stores since April, you know, we're pretty much still a new product. Well, and I'll tell you that, um, Mike, they say you're unemployable after you've worked for yourself for five years. Yeah, so well, that's about you're getting close. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show today. Of course. Yeah, and good luck. I look forward to seeing how things uh, go for you. Absolutely.